You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. The Miami Heat have made some big changes this offseason, and they're very likely a better team. But how much better are they? On today's show, we'll be evaluating new additions to the team and comparing them to the players they've replaced, more or less. And to help me is a contributor to Five Reasons Sports and Eric Spolster's best friend, Alex Toledo, a.k.a. the one and only Tropical Blanket on Twitter. How are you, Alex? Oh, my God. Just don't let Spo hear this pod, man. He would be incensed if you heard me. I mean, if you heard you call me his best friend, that's... I think that's pretty fair. I mean, you guys clearly have a stop a, it. You're a better you're a journalist, man. This you gotta be no, you gotta be accurate about it. Spo is uh I don't I don't know. I don't know if I would if I <laughs> categorize maybe, it that way. May okay, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but I think you're in his ear. You you're I think maybe trusted confident. How about that? In his ear. Hey, you you ask the tough questions, you put them on a spot. I mean, that's that's what makes you stand out amongst uh heat media there. So I, I think that's a, a great if, if for all those of you who are listening and don't know, Alex has been going back and forth with Spo for the last couple of seasons that you've been covering the team, and you just ask tough questions. And you know there have been a couple moments there's no there back where... and forth. I just ask a question, and then he demolishes me. There, then there's no. That's it's it. happened like twice. I mean, we're exaggerating a little. It's a, it's a good bit for Twitter, but I mean, he's actually just kind of like he's been snarky twice. But I wouldn't even count it as like he's not demolishing you. He's not insulting you or anything In like my that. My head, he is. <laughs> that might be a whole other story. But uh, anyway, I haven't talked to you really since the offseason has begun. The last time I saw you, we were standing next to Tyler Hero at a uh, heat summer camp event. Four and pounds heavier. Yeah, four pounds heavier. He's built. He's jacked up. You can clearly tell he's put on a lot of muscle there. Uh, well, he's still on the on the roster anyway, at least for now. But uh, just a quick take on the changes they've made, because Obviously, a pretty exciting offseason for Miami so far. I mean, look, this is – I've said this on Five on the Floor. Like, they've gone through my wish list of stuff that I wanted to see happen this offseason. Like, we knew the Lowry stuff was the worst kept kept secret. And now, unfortunately, <laughs> it's become a legal investigation <laughs> in the league. But yeah. that's a whole other conversation. But as far as what the guys that they added to – uh, to their roster bring on the floor. I, I, I love it. Like they, they checked off stuff that, and that they addressed holes that they really needed addressed, yep. you know, as sufficiently as they could with the stuff they had available. Now you can be, you can nitpick with some of the stuff that they let happen, particularly the guys that walked to the Lakers for not much money or years at all. And I think that's a fair nitpick, but other than that, like bringing Kyle Lowry here, not fumbling that is huge, right? Like he, what he right. brings to the team as a pull-up shooter, as a playmaker, as a high-level defender, even if he is 35 years old, it's stuff that they needed. Literally, all the things he brings are stuff that the Heat needed help in, whether on offense or defense. And I think between the actual relationship he has with guys like Jimmy and Bam to different degrees and the, their actual fit on the basketball court, I think it's an A+. plus. Like, I think it's a complete, you know, like <laughs> – but it's a it's a great mesh of both things colliding, right? Like it's a right. great fit on the floor, off the floor. Maybe not the most talented big three, but right. once you add in the context of the rest of the guys on their team, that you know, with PJ and Markeith, Duncan, Tyler, Deadman, they're not nearly as small as they were last year. They're much more dynamic, I think, on both ends of the floor. Maybe missing a little bit of depth until Victor Oladipo comes back. Right. But I'm I'm more than happy with what they've done. Absolutely, no, I, I agree with you. I also think that. Maybe they might not necessarily fit into the the top tier as far as title contenders are concerned, but I think they've addressed a lot of the needs off the court, just in terms of the. Are we intangible... competing with those guys though? What's that? My my bad. I don't mean to keep interrupting you. They'll, they'll no, definitely no. be competing with those guys. I, oh, I yeah. do believe they're what just much more. They're, I think they're the most suited team to compete with the Bucks and the Nets in the Eastern Conference, and I don't think that's a biased take at all. I think I think that's based on the guys that are there. And my lack of trust in the Sixers, my, you know, I think yeah. the Hawks are a nice team. I just don't believe that those types of teams will be better suited to guard and score on the, the Nets and the Bucks in the Eastern Conference. I just think they they're just much more playoff ready than they were. Yeah, I agree. And, and look, I, I've been making this point uh, that I think they've strengthened their chemistry a lot more. I think 
they kind of took a hit, obviously, because they lost a, they lost a personality in the locker room like Jay Crowder. And you and I have seen that, how he was able to fit in so well. Uh, it was just a very different vibe last season. Even, you know, I mean, obviously not being in the locker room necessarily, but it's still just the team itself didn't seem to have the same kind of chemistry that they did the year before. And I think it, that's showed on the court, but I think they've addressed it. They've gotten better uh, and they can still be one of the top teams in Eastern Conference. And that kind of brings me to the theme of today's show, because I got in a fantastic question sent in by a long-term listener, long-time listener, excuse me, Billy from Cleveland. He writes in, hey, David, I wanted to know if you could rate Miami's outgoing and incoming players on a scale of one to 10, with around four being like your average player, 10 being LeBron, et cetera. Uh, and he said, you know, he added, you said in several podcasts that Miami can't build the best roster, so it needs to build the best roster that fits best. I think quantifying how much Miami actually improved in terms of culture and fit would help others understand just how the moves are better. So I talked to you about it. We wanted to do something to kind of go into the nitty gritty here about what makes these players better or how this roster might stack up to you know, the previous version from last season. And so we picked a number of players. Uh, we're going to kind of provide a, a, a mode here where we can rate all these players in five different categories. We're going to look at offense defense, intangibles, basketball IQ, age, health. And of course, then we'll come up with a total and we'll see if there's a differential between last year's players or the players that are no longer on this roster and this year's players. So I think it's going to be interesting. We're going to do about six players. Uh, yeah, six players each. You provide your ranking and then we can kind of open it up for debate. And uh, I think it'll be a fun exercise. Are you ready, Alex? I am. I am. I'm, I'm all up. In this nerd stuff, man, I think okay. this is a good way to quantify just how good we feel about this team. And I do think the scientific method, you know, this is, we're, we're kind of like in the hypothesis stage right now. <laughs> I, I think your hypothesis is going to work out. Like, I think it's going to show maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's going to show that we're both a lot higher on this team compared to, you know, what they had last season. Yeah, that, that makes sense. All right. Well, let's start off with a couple of big uh, bigs that are no longer well, one that's no longer on the roster. One that was a late season addition last year. Dwayne Dedman. You've got Dwayne there, and let's start off with his ranking from a scale of 1 to 10 on his offense. Where would you place him? Well, I guess if I had to rate Dwayne Debbin on offense, I'd put him at, at a solid 7 just because, you know, and I'm not going to base it all off of his his production that he did at the end of the season last year because I don't think that's a great sample. I don't think he's going to put up the, the, those crazy, you know, per 100 possession numbers that he did while he was there, but I think it does show that he can easily fulfill that backup uh, center role that they needed. And the size stuff, you know, it, it's been talked about in the league, you know, you know, the themes of size versus kind of length, agility, and, and guys who can move better on the floor on defense. But what Deadman does in a role, 15, 20 minutes max off the bench, is give them somebody who they can funnel the defense towards and can just provides energy on offense. And, and to me, he's somebody that everybody can easily dish off to. And it was why he was so efficient. He was somebody who could actually catch the ball and, and make a post move, right? Like I, I, and no hate towards precious here because that's kind of who he replaced last season. I just think right. precious was just obviously nowhere near that stage of being able to be a, a backup five consistently for a winning team. Deadman fulfills that at the, at the veteran minimum for great value, in my opinion. And on offense, he's going to give you offensive rebounds. He's going to give you easy, you know, they're going to dish off to him and he's going to have easy looks over and over again based on the gravity of the guys that he's playing with. So I think it's a, a solid seven for him. All right. Uh, what about on defense? Let's go these through these a little quickly and then we'll my just kind of make our No, no, it's cool. <laughs> so defense, like I said, uh, I kind of went over a little bit. They're, they're going to funnel to, uh, the defense towards him every time. He's mostly going to be a drop guy. They kind of messed around with playing him at the level of the screen on defense a couple of times here and there. And I think he did an okay job. Like he's not, you're not going to you know, treat him like bam on defense, but he can handle different types of things. He knows where he needs to be. He has great like positional intelligence of what's going on there. Awareness. And I think that matters. Yeah. A hundred percent on both ends of the floor. He just knows how to fulfill the role that he's asked to do. So what's his ranking? Level. So I, I, on defense, I would honestly, I think seven is fair on defense too. Cause I don't, I wouldn't put him at the same level as a higher, as a higher level guy like bam who's just, elite but for that role i think he's like i said i think seven is a great value to get from veterans minimum that's the way i look at it all right what about intangibles well 
I guess the intangible stuff, I would put him at an eight because that's some of the stuff he really excels right. this, in. This is this is this is going to be an interesting debate on my end here. Let's go through the numbers. Well, I, quick, okay. Quick, well, I guess I, I should have I should have had a premise. I, I, this is basically kind of on the scale of him as a backup five and the role that he's at, not necessarily him versus the rest of the league. Or is that is that fair? Is that the way we're doing it? I, I would have said, you see, I would have, well, first of all, I got the question from Billy. So maybe I didn't do a good job of like kind of saying one to 10 as far as what average is concerned. But I mean, so far, you've got Dwayne Dedman as a seven and a half, just in three categories you've given me so far, maybe even closer to an eight. That's like a top, you know, uh, 50 player in the league, which Dedman is okay. not. So, so we'll all debate these numbers a little bit later. Maybe I was a little bit harsher in my evaluations of former players, but he, he's like ranking higher than almost anybody else in the roster at this he's point. He's not a top 50 player. Maybe I missed, and we talked about it pre-show. Maybe I misunderstood the, the ratings. No, that's, <laughs> a, a, that's my bad. That's my bad. I didn't, I didn't go through the details. Okay. Basketball. Well, it's my bad. I'm, the, I'm the professional screw up. Originally, this is what I do, but <laughs> from, okay. So based on what you told me now, I think the proper way to rank him, and I'm going to go through this quickly on offense is more like a, you know, a six, I think a six and a half on defense, basketball IQ six. Cause I just think it's a little bit lower because he's definitely not a top 50 player. I just think he's, you know, he's exactly what they would need from somebody at that size, at that position. All right. And age think health. That's, a, that's the, you know, I think, I guess five because he's on the wrong end of 30, but that is what you want from a back of five. So I don't think I'm worried about any of that. I think once you round after having heard, you know, why the scale was tipped a little bit too high, I think the average score would, would go to around a five and a half or six for Deadman. Yeah. Do you want to leave the intangibles at eight or is that still a little too high? Now that you've got (laughs) a different scale here. Let's put that at six and a half. Given all that, Dwayne comes in at a robust 5.9 average, a six. That's pretty high. I talked about this in my exit interview with your former colleague, Alphonse Sidney, and uh, we did an exit interview on Dwayne Dedman. And I like what he brought to the table. I just, I can't buy into it hundred percent. I've just heard too many things from other guys around the league about his, his ten his tenure in San, uh, San Antonio in Atlanta. I saw him up close in Orlando when he was a young player, just trying to carve out minutes. I, I, I like, I don't want to besmirch him in any way, but I'm just not quite sure if the locker room presence is there. However, he does provide some toughness. I see what all of heat nation sees in him when he comes in and he rebounds the hell out of the ball. He's a big, he's a body he can in theory stretch the floor, which is if I have a, any kind of re- major bone to pick with your ranking overall, it's that as a six on offense, just seems a little too high. Cause he's, he's basically limited to being a one dimensional scorer around the pain area right now. Eventually he could stretch the floor the way he has in other stints. But right now we have that scene that from him, at least not in the 16 games that he played last year. So like, it's not a well, bad scale. Right? I mean, I, go ahead. I wish I, I should have brought up the, 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 the per 100 possession numbers because they're ridiculous. I don't know if you remember when yeah, yeah. Whiteside first came into the league and he had similar numbers like this, obviously over a longer sample where it was just, it was just like, it, it was 20 and 20 or something like that. And that hurts your credibility similar. though. If you're going to be making Whiteside comparisons, forget it. The whole scale's off. Like, I hey, mean, well, look, well, we're talking about a guy playing 15 minutes a game rather than getting a max contract playing 35 or 30 minutes a game. But I, I will say that in, in the role that he did play here, knowing that it was the end of the season, it was a, you know, kind of like the hangover season from the bubble with the, with the terribly short turnaround. He wasn't a part of that, but he did come in and feast. I will say he was extremely productive for the time that he did play. All right. Uh, look, I, I see it. I can totally see it. Uh, moving on. I'll be talking about Nemanja Bielica, enemy number one, public enemy number one here on heat nation. Uh, just his comments. Like I, I should quantify. I made some, uh, uh, <laughs> insulting tweets last week once i saw those comments from his press conference with the golden state warriors i think maybe they might have been taken out of context look we saw what happened with goran dragic when he issued his statement in slovenia about not wanting to join the toronto raptors those can be taken out of context somewhat there is as always a language barrier with these european players it happens uh, but I also think that he was talking mostly about his time in Sacramento, which is quite clearly a pretty crappy organization, not necessarily 
the couple of months that he spent in Miami. But either way, he, he argued that he wanted more playing time when he was in Miami. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. And quite frankly, when he was on the floor, he wasn't particularly good. So my scale reflects his time here in Miami and quite not quite as positive as yours uh, evaluation of Deadman. I gave Nemanja a four on offense. My thinking is that he can do more. He's a nifty passer. He can space a floor. He just didn't do it when he was in Miami. So that the fact that he's capable of it, notwithstanding, he just didn't show it during his time here in, with the Heat. On defense, he was a one. Like, he was a turnstile. Uh, he didn't do anything. He was out of shape. He couldn't move his feet. He can't switch. He can't rotate. He can't do anything. Those traps were so slow. Yeah, the, the, he was not a functional defender out there. So to me, a one, I think, is pretty fair. Uh, I, if I could rate him a zero, I probably would. But uh, in terms of intangibles, again, given what we saw, the fact that he was trying to compete just for playing time in the midst of a playoff run and arguing about it and being difficult in that locker room, just not a great that's not a great t- time here in Miami. Just like you, you're trying to show out here. You're trying to make an impact with this team just to hang on to a job in the NBA. And you're complaining about minutes. Not a great look. So intangibles, I give him a one. In terms of basketball IQ, look, we know this. We've seen this historically from European players. They understand the game. They know how to move the ball. They see the floor differently, more effectively, I think, than a lot of American-born players. So I was a little generous here. With Nemanja, I gave him a seven in terms of basketball IQ. And then, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. You can argue that if you want to. But in terms of age, health, obviously not in the kind of shape. They're not in heat shape, as we've heard Eric Spolstra say so often. I gave him a four. Uh, That gives him a 3.4 average so far. So uh, that's uh, significantly lower than Dwayne Dedman's. Even if you had used a a harsher scale, I think it still would have been much more positive as far as the uh, the two and a half to 2.5 differential there between the two players. Do you disagree with any of my numbers when it comes to Bielitsa? Not really. I was more just surprised that you had that you gave him such a generous uh, rating for for basketball IQ because even though I like I, I was somebody who was saying the whole time after they acquired him I was I had a similar thinking as him obviously I think a lot of people were were speculating that he wasn't in shape he didn't you know just visually he, he didn't look like it with the way that he was moving around there maybe he right. knows and I think he I respect his basketball IQ because I know like you said he could put the ball down on the floor and just make the easy pass but it's almost like you knew you were getting traded to the heat. You can't like everybody knows it, right? Whether, yeah. whether you're from here or not, everybody knows the deal on what the heat expects out of you. And, and I know that they made it clear to him once he was acquired. I mean, right. I don't know, no, but I just expect it. Right. Cause that's their standard. That's how they are. Well, they sat him out for process. a long time. Right. I mean, they sat him out in the midst of when they could use those bodies because he wanted in that. shape. Yeah. I was saying that they could have easily used him as a spacer out there. Everybody thought he was going to be the Kelly replacement. So did I. And and he can he can shoot shout out, deeper. Shout out to that classic battle between old Kelly and uh, and new Kelly uh, when that time they took on the Kings. That was a great matchup where you could tell if Yelita was pissed off. I mean, we thought he was going to bring some fire to this roster, even as everybody was complaining about all Linux minutes. But that's they that's a whole Kelly other now. Yes, they could. But we'll get to that. All right. Uh, let's move on. So far, it's looking like the, the new heat are at least a little bit better than the old Heat. We'll talk about uh, some new players in the next segment. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Wouldn't it be great if there was a pocket-sized guy that helped you sleep, focus, act, be better? Well, there is. If you've got 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation just for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents like myself, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness could reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. If you talk to players around the league, they always mention when they focus on their mental health, mindfulness is one of the things that they target most quickly, most easily. They want to improve their overall focus, mindfulness, and apps like Headspace really do help. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. It makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you. You deserve to feel happiness and happier. 
and Headspace is a meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash NBA. That's headspace.com slash NBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash NBA today. If you're looking for an indulgent treat, then Built Bar is the choice for you. You know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors. You can try them all. Coconut, cherry, barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, and on and on. Salted caramel, my personal favorite. Cookies and cream, also a great one. You can build a mix box where you get all the different flavors. Give some of them out to your friends, colleagues, coworkers, whoever. Now, if you like Built Bar, again, you don't even know that you're eating a protein bar. They're all soft. They're all covered in chocolate. You get the benefits from eating a protein bar, all the nutrients that you're looking for in an indulgent treat. But if you go to BuiltBar.com right now, you can order today. Try them all. They are the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. So use that promo code LOCKED15. You get 15% off, but only at BuiltBar.com. I'm here with Alex Toledo of Five Reason Sports, and we're evaluating players. We've got five categories here. Uh, so far, it looks like the new Miami Heat have improved just slightly over the old Heat with the departure of Nemanja Bialica and the re-signing of Dwayne Dedman. Let's move on to a couple of other players here. Andre Iguodala, not exactly an exciting name, I suppose, but, you know, a veteran a guy that brought a lot to the table in his short time here in Miami. I think we kind of remember him somewhat fondly because of his championship experience and everything else with the Golden State Warriors and the fact that he was part of a nice run in Orlando and everything else. He was able to contribute, but overall, we started to see his impact decline a little bit, his overall efficiency not particularly great, still capable of making those great plays. I'm sure that will reflect in your evaluation of his basketball IQ and intangibles and things of that sort, but overall, I'd say not quite the great player on the floor that he once was. So let's kick it off with Iguodala's offense. What would you say on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being a superstar Giannis LeBron type player and one being, well, the Manya Bielitsa. Oh, Andre Iguodala offense this is easy. 10. No, but seriously, uh, Iguodala, I'd give him probably a four at this point, uh, just on knowing where to be on the floor and trying to make it easier on other guys with the screens, you know, he, the, that's stuff that matters. It's stuff that 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 would help them on offense. But when he was also on the floor, it was just so much easier for the defense to to kind of make the lives harder of the other guys who can actually who actually do make an impact, you know, on on offense for the Heat. And I just think, uh, you know, Iguodala is not somebody that people were scared of at all as a shooter or as somebody who was a threat to drive to the hole and finish, even though there was times where he would surprise you with little turnarounds and yeah. kind of getting to the rim. But, but it, that was mostly just stuff where it's like a, a defense is, is all over the place and, and, and he finds a lane to the, a cut to the rim or a lane to the rim when everybody else is out of the way. So Andre is not, was not really an impact player at all. On what about defense? So that part also declined over the the couple seasons. I feel he was here. I still think he was probably their fourth best defender uh, for both you know the year, the season and a half that he was here. Whether he was behind Crowder or Ariza, and obviously Jimmy and Bam, it was something they needed. And again, somebody who knows where to be on defense. I really respect. You know, everybody talks about his hands, but it's more than that. It's about you know the way that he can get into plays, and it's just very smart about when to try to go for that type of, you know, defensive playmaking and, and when to not do it. I think that's a kind of like a, a, a discipline that he he was really good at towing that line despite the clear lack of athleticism, the clear, like, you know, the way that the age would show itself and in, in, in how it didn't, it didn't matter that Andre was, was, in, was in great shape, right? Because a lot of the stuff that he did was more based on his, I feel like the his knowledge of the game. And so his defense, I'm putting it at, Seven, okay. I think that's still fair. Maybe six and a half. Yeah, six and a half. Six right. and a half feels more right. fair based on the. Okay, how about intangibles then? Well, that one is a little bit easier for me. That one, I'm giving him a seven and a half. I think that's something that he definitely brings. It's just you can't put put him on the floor the floor for too often. Like he brings all the other little stuff for you that you would want in a veteran. It's just he doesn't have quite enough offense to justify playing him for more than 10, 15 minutes a game. I, I respect Andre and what he brings, and that's part of what he brings for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, basketball IQ? Seven. I mean, that's fair. I mean, you've made strong cases offensively, defensively. I mean, I, I could argue that basketball IQ just – that he has the capacity, he's seen it all over the course of his tenure with Golden State, Miami, and Philadelphia, Denver, et cetera. Uh, he has seen it a lot, and I think he understands the game at a very high level. The body is just not able to do a lot of what the mind can do. So that's, uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't even argue that maybe you can make that a little higher, but that's fine. Uh, age and health, that's the last category here. He's, so far, he's ranked, he's ranked pretty highly here. What would you say in terms of age and health, you would give him a number from 1 to 10? Let's let's bring that average down. Let's bring that down to a two. <laughs> Look, I mean, for for his age, he still was a, a you know he was a functional player. I mean, I know they had we're to trying to avoid the curbing here. No, I look. I mean, I, I I think it's we're trying to be fair above all else. I, I think a lot of Heat fans would want us to be biased towards this year's team. But Andre performed. I mean, he was available. Like they had to sit him on back to backs on occasion. He wasn't. You know, I also just think last season was ugly for him. Like yeah. He he was definitely helpful during the bubble. Like I think he, my my ratings for him throughout that playoff run would be higher than this. I mean, maybe for some of the stuff, not you know, like the stuff didn't change from and to now as far as IQ, the intangibles. But you know, the his on the floor, on the court impact, I think was definitely higher during that bubble run than it was throughout this hangover season. And that context applies to him too. To be fair, so you know, in in the theme of being fair. I would put him higher if, if you're grading him on a curve with the health and age because he he was there, right? And he played a, a good amount for the Heat while, you know, it was kind of a, a question mark when he was first acquired. Like, this guy didn't play for a year. He right. was there. He was with the team for a long time. He was part of, of their rotation and their eight when, when they did get to the bubble, I mean, to the finals in the bubble. And I respect him for that. I just do, you know, he I think he, he had a sharper decline last season. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if – he's back to being just kind of more of the guy he was uh, the season before when, mm -hmm. when it comes to the Warriors, as long as he's in a smaller role there, I just think it's a pretty easy role for him to fit in. Whereas last season, the, the team was just kind of missing some of that higher end talent that I think Andre needs to be around at this point. Yeah. So that's fair. Uh, I, I think, I mean, with a two at age health uh, that brings his total to 27 and an average of 5.4. So kind of a mid-level player. I mean, I think in a vacuum, if you use that one to 10 model, I think that seems a little bit high, but I think that's the argument about Andre and why he's going to be, go ahead. I thought a mid-level, I thought five was like a low rating. I thought five is like, that's somebody at the back end of your rotation. So I know five, according to the question, you know, fine. Again, I, this is my mistake. I'm for sorry. Not I'm, I'm the idiot here. It's, no, it's no, no, no. Come on. First of all, you're the guest. You can never be the idiot. And and secondly, I, I should have provided the context of from Billy's question, but you know, he, he says, you know, a scale of one to 10 with about four being your average player. Do you think that, a five might be a little too high. I feel like we're being honest here okay. in, in terms of the, the defense and the intangibles and the basketball IQ. Those, that's the argument for Andre. This is why, you know, we saw that he, he was linked to, to Phoenix and the Lakers and the Clippers and other contending teams because even the Brooklyn Nets might want him. And, and because yeah. he still brings value as a locker room presence, as a guy who's seen it all, who understands how to play with superstars. He teamed up with KD in Golden State. So I, I think it's a, it's fair. I, like you could say that on the court, he's not a good player, but off the court, he still has incredible value. And, and look at defensively. I think the fact that he is still a big athletic body, he can switch and provide everything he does. His passing was always great. I mean, there were moments there where he kind of saw the floor a little bit too well. Like he was kind of yeah, looking ahead sure. to, yeah, he was looking ahead to where guys should have been instead of to where they actually were. And sometimes it paid off and sometimes it didn't. So 5.4 in a vacuum seems high, but I guess that's the case for, for Andre. So that's why he's still a, a pretty good contributor, even at age 36. Uh, moving on, I've got Markeith Morris. He's the new addition there. Markeith Man, I am not sure what to make of Markeith. He's a little bit older, uh, diminished role. We saw him up close in with the Lakers uh, in the Orlando bubble finals. And uh, I just, I don't know that he's going to be quite a contributor. Everybody kind of sees him and his brother and, you know, they're twins. It's kind of hard to differentiate their games and things of that sort. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't seen enough Markeith Morris over the last couple of seasons, but I'm just not as high on the possibility of him being the contributor that everybody thinks he might be. So we'll see. Uh, in terms of the rank, the rankings here on offense, I give him a four. Uh, I think in reality, 
he's not a great passer. He's not a great scorer by any stretch. And maybe that's by virtue of the teams that he's been playing on recently, but he's just, that's just not who he's called upon to be. He's not, he's not expected to be a great scorer. He's going to be mostly a standstill shooter, a catch and shoot guy, uh, you know, from the perimeter. And if he can knock that down with some regularity, then maybe he'll improve. But overall, I'm not optimistic. So I gave him a four on defense. I think he is a big switch enough, you know, switchable body, uh, his lateral movement is not as great as it once was, but I still gave him a six. I think that's fair. Intangibles, just given his championship experience, the fact that he's been on a number of rosters, uh, I could gave him. I gave him a slight edge in terms of that. I gave him a six overall, but he's also been prone to boneheaded plays. He can be a little too physical. He can give. He can deliver the cheap foul, and maybe within the context of those moments, it feels like that's necessary. And certainly, I think a lot of Heat fans. We'll love when Morris delivers a, a chop or a, a strong push or things of that sort, but they can also take your, your team out of those moments too. As much as they can possibly inspire you to victory, it's more likely that they'll take you out of a chance of I'll winning. I'll tell you so, D that. <laughs> yeah, that's different. That's a little different. Uh, basketball IQ, same argument there, almost as intangibles. Like he's seen it, he's done it. Uh, I don't know that he can actually perform on the court as well as he'd like to, but I gave him a six in terms of basketball IQ. That feels like it might be a little too high. And in terms of age and health, he's, uh, you know, he's been out there. He played 61 games last year. That's not great. I mean, that's pretty good considering how long the the, the season was. Uh, you know, it has an average more than 20 minutes per game in a couple seasons. You know, let's see exactly. Oh, he's, he's almost 32. By the time camp opens up in September, he'll be 32. Uh, I can't believe camp's opening up in September already. But yeah, uh, so he's, you know, slightly in the decline there. Uh, I think he fits this this roster pretty well. So I gave him a five in terms of age and health. That means the average there, 5.4. It's a wash between Iguodala and Morris, according to these current rankings. Do you have any, uh, do you object to any of my numbers when it comes to Markeith? Not much. The only thing I would nitpick about is I would have the intangibles higher than the basketball IQ, just because, like you said, he can make some boneheaded plays on both ends of the floor, whether you talk, you talked about the physical stuff as far as uh, fouling a guy, but also on offense, he, he's had the reputation in the past of just like looking to, for too many of those like extra little post-ups where he'll try to like, I don't mind that type of stuff at all against like a switching defense. If he gets a, a smaller guy on him for sure, I definitely don't mind that. And and especially now with the type of playmaking they added, they have more guys who can feed him in the right spots and, and not just, you know, give him the ball 19, you know, 19 feet away from the hoop. If you can get him sealed against a smaller guy, that's nice. But the thing with Morris has always been like, Oh, he thinks he can score. I think a little bit better. Than he, than he does as far as on an NBA level. Because, uh, you know, I think him and Marcus Morris have similar offensive capabilities there, whereas Marcus has just kind of been a more reliable shooter. Both yeah. of them have been able to post up versus smaller guys. And that physicality is going to matter for the Heat. So, again, I like it. There's a lot of switching defenses now, so it's something you can go to in those bench lineups if you're missing a little bit of offense. But the, the I think he, he's, he's a little bit of a – he's better with the intangibles, less, you know, with the IQ stuff. So you think, well, okay, so it would change. It's it would fair change. to compare him to Iguodala, I think. I think they're both minimum guys Ooh. for a reason. Uh, so you would say Marquise's tangibles, intangibles would be more like a seven and his basketball IQ more like a five? I mean, it wouldn't really change the overall ranking. It would still no, wind up being like, a watch. More like, uh, I don't know, maybe six and 5.5 or 6.5 and six. You know what I'm saying? Not by yeah. much, but I would just kind of reverse the number there. But Really, that's just nitpicking. The comparison to Andre is an interesting one because I'm just not sure how I feel. Like, I like Markeith with, the, like I said, some of the stuff he brings there, like if, if, with a small on him, that's cool because Andre couldn't really do that at all. But I want to see how he looks on defense. I know that he's going to make sure that he's in good shape if, if they're going to be in, you know, kind of playing him uh, consistently in, in, a, in a carved out role for him every night. So if he's moving around out there defensively, that's cool. That's that's what I want to see. But it's really just going to depend on him like hitting that shot consistently. And they're going to need that because PJ is he's only going to give you the corner three. And even then, he he, he wasn't great with the corner three with the Bucks. So you're going to need Markeith to step up a little bit on offense, but it's got to be controlled. But I just don't know how much better he is than Andre. All right. Yeah, that's fair. I I'm, I'm feel comfortable with these numbers. Uh, to me, I think uh, you've made a pretty strong argument there. So now I, I think it's still a wash, uh, an average of 5.4 each. They're both 
good at some things, bad at others. Uh, it feels like that's that's pretty fair. I mean, you lose a veteran like Andre Guadalla that's won a championship, uh, although I think he's more stronger as a locker room presence. I haven't seen Morris up close that much to, to see exactly how he'll interact with guys like Jimmy. But, I mean, based on his reaction and his brother's reaction, it seems like he's eager for the opportunity here. So, still, okay, Miami's in the positive here so far. They've made some slight improvements to the roster. Next, in the, se- in the next segment, we'll talk about Trevor Ariza and compare him to P.J. Tucker, the newest addition for the Miami Heat. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all of it over at Bet Online. Get the latest news, odds, info on your sporting needs. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online or your laptop on mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on. Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. Here we are evaluating this year's roster versus some of the players that we've lost in the past offseason. I think it's been an interesting conversation so far. And let's move on to a couple of guys that were expected to bolster Miami's chances last year. Trevor Ariza and P.J. Tucker, of course, the Heat acquired Trevor Ariza in the trade with Oklahoma City Thunder for Myers Leonard. P.J. Tucker, a name that was uh, linked to Miami for quite some time, never quite worked out. He, of course, wound up going to the Milwaukee Bucks and winning a championship. Let's start off with P.J. I know he's been a guy that you've long talked about, uh, I think. Even on last year's show, uh, for the New Year's resolution, I asked you for one, and I think you mentioned P.J. Tucker. If I recall correctly, That's almost right. every almost everybody uh, wanted P.J. Tucker on this roster. Rowan Nodkarney, uh, Brian Goins, you. I mean, I think everybody was like, get P.J. on this team. It would have been a great fit. Uh, we'll see what happens now that he's a little bit older, but also with some championship experience. Let's start off with P.J.'s offense. So for offense, like I kind of alluded to before, it's there's it's not like the stuff that he brings is just a corner three and knowing where to be as far as just kind of getting out of the way and spacing the floor for the guys that matter. And that's why I think he's going to be a great fit as a starter. Now I'm a little bit concerned about playing him a lot of minutes throughout the season. Cause I would rather he be just kind of be kept in the metaphorical bubble wrap for the playoffs. Right. Where like, he's just not playing too much and uh, you just kind of have him ready for that run. But on offense, you know, corner three and offensive rebounds, which I do think matters for the Heat because if Bam is out there on the perimeter, sometimes, you know, P.J. can can step in and get and get a rebound there. Uh, whether on defense or on offense, they kind of needed that. They were a little bit too small. So I'm going to go 6.5 there. Okay. All right. Uh, on defense, then? Even 6.5 feels a little bit high for P.J. It does. I'm not going to lie that Maybe, does. You know, let's let's lower that to six. Let's lower that to six, just because of that that decline with the corner three he had with the Bucks, which yeah. could go back up, just because I feel like the Heat have better playmaking and and uh, you know the best non Steph Curry or Dame Lillard shooter in the league. All right. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the corner three percentage goes back up a bit. Okay. Defense. PJ Tucker. That's what he brings. Is the, the defense is his, is his strength. Everybody knows this. Uh, the guy is a bulldog, and I love what he brings on that end. He's going to be able to make them be, you know, probably the, one of the two or three best switch teams in the league if they want to go that route again, and they probably will. But they can also drop if they want to and do it at a high, high level. They can go back to trapping if they want to and do it at a high level. And P.J. is a part of that because he's not even there to be your linchpin on defense like he has been for for teams in the past. He's going to be your fourth best defender. And that's a crazy luxury to have. So I just think he's going to be incredible in that role because he doesn't have to cover for so many guys. All these guys are going to be helping each other. I think it, they, they really feel well with each other for all these different reasons. And for that, I'm going 7.5 for PJ. All right. All right. I had him plugged in as an 8, but 7.5 seems fair. I was thinking about 8, too. I'm not going to lie to you. I know he's had a little bit of decline there. He doesn't move quite as well as he used to. I do still think of him as a really high-level defender because people will try to bog it down to, oh, can – 
he defend Durant and oh Durant lit him up in the playoffs. I thought he did a great job being physical with KD, but besides that, like I said, he's he'll be their fourth best defender, and Bam is the guy you have to theoretically throw on, on KD. You could switch him out. You know, you don't have to have one on KD the entire time in a theoretical series, you know, versus the Nets. I just think people are a little bit too black and white with the way they look at PJ. And also, by the way, the Nets don't have a big that's going to punish you the way uh, the Bucks did whenever Bam would switch out onto, onto the wow. best player. Wow, the, the DJ uh, erasure there. I can't believe it. DeAndre yeah, Jordan. No, the, Nets, the Nets erased him out of the rotation. I, I, I'm more talking about Blake and like Nick Claxton, the guys who actually deserve to get those minutes. <laughs> All right. Uh, intangibles for PJ? I'm going... Quick 7.5. I think yeah. that's that's something he brings at a high level too. All that, you know, the collective grit of this team. Yeah, we dogs. I mean, that's that's the quote, right, from the Milwaukee run. I, I think so it's going to be man. synonymous there. So I, I think he's going to bring a lot of that mentality. A guy who's done everything he has and had to play overseas in order to find a role here with Toronto and Houston and everything else. He's been he's a small ball center a couple of years ago with the Rockets. I mean, he's been able and go willing back to, to do that, it all. By the way. Would What's you that? be surprised if, if, if Spo went to that a couple times? Not at all. Not at all. Especially, like, in, in a specific series, like, maybe when Bam's off the floor, if you were to play the Nets, you know what I'm saying? A smaller yeah. team like that? Yeah. Uh, basketball PJ, IQ? PJ, yeah, man, he brings that versatility, man. Like, I don't think – this is one thing I'll say. The other guys in his class of free agents, of power forwards available for similar price, none of them bring what he brings as far as defensive versatility. None of them. Not Batum. I mean, I, I respect Batum. He's versatile on defense. But PJ – is I think brings more of what they actually needed from somebody who can guard up. And I don't think really Batum is strong enough to do that at the level that PJ uh, does it at. So especially with how much they like to switch Bam out onto the perimeter. PJ fits in that role perfectly. Yeah. As an aside, I'd just like to point out uh, how wonderful it is that, that you get Batum off of a Charlotte Hornets roster and he winds up becoming exactly the perfect player that everybody wanted him to be when he joined the Charlotte Hornets roster. Uh, he was a strong player for team France in the Olympics. I mean, he just, he's been able to really transform his career over the last year and a half. It's incredible. Uh, let's see. So a, a basketball IQ, did you give me a ranking there? No, not yet. What's his uh, basketball IQ? Would you say? IQ, I would go, I would go a solid seven. I would, yeah. I would go seven. I think it's mixed with the intangibles and stuff like that, or just knowing how to, how to play your role and and how to really, I think raise the floor for winning teams. I think that's what he does. It's like you're not, you're never gonna be. I mean, oh my god, the upgrade that this team is gonna be on the de- defensive end of the floor compared to what they have been the past couple of seasons. Even though they were a strong defensive team by the numbers last year. They're going to be able to guard small teams, big teams at a high level. Like I said earlier, whatever coverage they want to throw out there, like they don't have to overhelp so much like they did for the past couple of seasons because of all those guys that they had to overhelp for. So I just think like, especially with some of these staggered lineups we're probably going to see based on the roster construction and the age of some of these dudes, like I just think they're going to be an extremely high level defense. And PJ is a part of that just as much as Kyle. Age and health. Here's where it gets a little dicey. How old is he exactly? Uh, I believe. Oh, let me see. I'll, I'll look it up real quick. BJ Tucker. I want to say he's 35, but I might be wrong. Uh, 36. Sorry, is, 36. I should have done the, the homework. No, 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 no. I, I might. No, I shouldn't know this off the top of my head. He's 36 and uh, about 100 days old right now. So uh, cl- getting close to 37 years old. And maybe you can make a case that the wear and tear wasn't there because he was mostly a bench player. And, you know, he played overseas for so long. But. I mean, those minutes okay. have to add up. So I, I don't know. I, I still think he played, you know, he played 52 games last year. And I don't know whether that was due to injury or the fact that he was traded. He probably sat out some games uh, in Houston while they were trying to figure out what to do with his ass. Uh, I mean, he played 72 the year before. He played 82 the year before that. There was also only, what, 71 games this past season? Yeah, uh, 72. So, I mean, he played 72. 50. He played 52 out of 72 plus every game of the playoffs. True. And I'll I'll give him a three for that, just slightly, you know, better than Andre. Just uh, I don't know. He's thirty six is not great to hear, and that's that was also part of the, the 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 thing I wanted to nitpick about with the Heat summer is that they kind of didn't add enough front court depth as well yep. to kind of offset PJ and his not only the age stuff and like I said, you want to have him uh, healthy and good to go for the playoff run, so you can really play him a lot there when you want to play him versus the elite guys, and just not enough. Uh, in the offensive uh, 
rotation in the front court. Like I think, it, like if Omer Yurtsevin works yeah. out, that would be cool. That would be a nice little tool that they have as far as like a, a shooting big and in the mold of Myers or Kelly. But really, it's they're going to depend on PJ a lot, and I, I'm interested to see how they manage it with him because the 36, like that, that matters, and the number matters when you're talking about, you know, a, a, a rotation that maybe isn't as deep as it was last year. And, and a team that is pretty much built for the playoffs. Well, uh, I mean, that's pretty that's pretty good. Overall, I'd say he's still a 6.2. Maybe that seems a little high also. I, mean, I just, again, it, it seems like we're kind of gravitating towards these low. Like 6.2 in terms of his overall average. I mean, considering, again, superstar being 10, I, I think six is a, a good player, above average, average player. And, like, I think what he loses offensively, maybe you can make a case that offensively, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and veto your offensive ranking of six and give him a five, a five, a five. Wow. Because he's not getting to the hoop, man. He's he can't put the he ball doesn't. down. He's a standstill shooter. If I'm I gave, giving him that for the offensive rebounding stuff, just because I think the Heat were lacking it so much. Like I that's think fair. This, the little stuff that he's good at actually really matters for the Heat, knowing that Spo knows you know what's going on with him and, and the stuff that he brings. But also, like they really needed the extra physicality, the extra rebounding, and. I think that's why I give PJ the benefit of the doubt, really, and kind of looking over his flaws is like, well, you got the offensive boost elsewhere, right? Like, not every not every spot can be filled out perfectly. It's the offensive boost is not only bringing back Duncan, but adding Kyle because he's yeah. the one that's going to give you the extra 18, 20 points a game. The obviously all the playmaking he does, the the extra extra aspect to the offense, by the way, uh, that he brings to the to the floor, like. I, I just think people are looking a little bit too much and not you, I'm not talking about you, but just like, you know, it's obvious PJ needs more on offense, but it's also like they should have done a better job addressing that. I feel when, you know, the front court rotation, just adding guys who offset what he does on the offensive floor. Whereas like Markeith is somebody who's still a question mark on offense. I think like he's, it's going to depend on his shot falling. Yeah. Uh, Paul Millsap's not that guy for you. I take it. I would take Millsap. I would take Millsap. I think having that depth would be cool. I know it's just that's on paper I would take him. It's just like I don't know how much of a role he expects. I don't know how much of a role Markeith expects. I don't know if you can play all those guys together. I don't think you can play Markeith, Millsap, and Deadman together. But, again, no. there's going to be plenty of staggered lineups. So I absolutely would not be opposed to bringing Paul Millsap on or a guy like Wes Matthews, by the way. Agreed. Agreed on both of those names, but I don't see that's very likely at this point. But uh, moving on, I will be evaluating Trevor Ariza before wrapping up today's show on offense. I mean, we all know what Trevor's capable of. I think he's probably better than PJ at getting to the hoop, but there was just so many inconsistent moments there. Maybe it's just a virtue of seeing him up close, much more closely than we saw PJ Tucker for the length of last season that I could rank him a little bit low. We know he can get to the rim. He can put the ball down on occasion. You don't trust him necessarily. He's not quite Jay Crowder, but he's not exactly Jimmy Buckets either. I gave him a four on offense. Uh, you know, the shooting was just, well, I mean, it was non-existent in the playoffs. And it's not like you're exactly counting on him to be Crowder-esque. That was unrealistic, but it just those shots weren't falling at all. And so I, I absolutely, uh, you know, gave him a, a notch lower than expected because of that. On defense, you know, he was switchable. But as we saw in up close, again, he was not the kind of guy you can switch on to bigger, bulkier bodies. Like Lowry and PJ, I think, certainly show that even though they're smaller than Ariza, they're much more hefty. They're strong enough to kind of switch and pick up bigger guys like that. So while shout, the out, shout out your colleague, Ben Golliver, uh, who I'm a fan of. And I listen to the Greatest of All Talk podcast he does with Andrew Sharp, and he came up with, with the term last season, acreage. I don't know if, if, if you've heard him mention that yet. No, I have uh, not uh basically it's kind of a way and it's not something that's never been talked about but i think he just wanted to put a term to it of, of like guys who are who are stocky and that being something that matters versus just like what gets talked about for the most part is length right right and i right. think that's the exact excuse me exact thing you're talking about here when it comes to lowry and pj and what they bring uh versus a guy like ariza who is super switchy mm -hmm. but i think he could guard small guys a little bit be better than pj at this point and was really good as a team defender as far as getting into passing lanes but I do think PJ is more of what they need. Yeah, I agreed. Uh, in terms of intangibles, given that he has championship experience, so he's played with everybody over the course of his, well, I don't know, 30 seasons. He's been in the leagues for so long. Uh, he's seen so much. He's played with all the greats. He's probably a, a great locker room presence. Even on his way out, he, he really 
you know, just the fact that he, he, he addressed the Heat fans and that he really appreciated his time here in Miami as brief as it was. I think he's still a great locker room guy. Uh, and so I, I really... No, I appreciate the fact that he is that veteran presence that still brings something to the table. He's not just collecting a check. He still wants to play and contribute at a high level. And I think he tried his best. It's just that his age is caught up to him and he's no longer quite the factor he once was. So in in terms of intangibles, I gave him a seven. Similarly, with basketball IQ, I think he understands his role. Like he was a guy, surprisingly, again, after a year of not playing, like we all talked about Andre Iguodala for sitting out here as long as he did. I mean, it, Ariza sat out the Orlando bubble because of personal issues. He hadn't played in almost, what was it, a year and a half or something like that because he had sat out. He hadn't played since March, uh, March 14th, when the season eventually shut down. At that point in time, he was with the Portland Trailblazers, then he got traded to Oklahoma City, sat out most of their season, then was acquired a year later by the Miami Heat. And so he hadn't played for so long, and yet he played right away. I think I don't even remember him sitting out more than a game or two, if anything. And he was in the starting lineup as a big uh, you know, again, that's switchable player and everything else. So given all that, I gave him a seven in terms of basketball IQ. And then, of course, because of age and health, he is older, but he was still in great shape. I mean, similar to Iguodala, I think he was a guy who, despite his age, was still able to contribute physically at a, as high a level as you can be expected to. I think that was re- he really outperformed my expectations. Maybe they were a little bit low, but he went in there. He was a factor right away. So overall, with uh, with Trevor, I think he's he's a solid player a little bit older, not quite as capable of contributing at the high level that he was used to at one point in time, but he was never a great superstar. He's always been more of that complimentary role player, and it's a role that he's embraced and he's good at, and I think he'll be a nice fit for Los Angeles in those terms. So overall, his average is 5.8, just a smidge lower than P.J. Tucker's six ranking. So overall, in terms of the, the differential, a plus, a plus 0.2 for this version of the Miami Heat as opposed to last year. So what, let's break it down for us before we wrap up today's show. Nemanja Bjelica versus Deadman. That was a pretty good battle that swayed heavily in Deadman's favor. That was a 2.5 differential. Iguodala versus Markeith Morris. That was a wash in terms of those two players, both older, both able to contribute somewhat. They've seen a lot. They've experienced a lot. Uh, similarly, P.J. Tucker and Trevor Ariza was very, very close. P.J. a slightly better defender. Ariza probably a better fit in terms of his overall health and everything else like that and, and his offense maybe uh, you know just a little bit more dynamic than pj's although not necessarily as efficient and slightly PJ, better shooter too yeah yeah slightly and and pj gets a a slight edge there a 0.2 differential so overall of the six players that we've evaluated it looks like miami's roster this year is 2.7 points better so not great but not as bad as could be expected either. So uh, it's a we haven't got it to the big fish. Yeah, that's why. No, we haven't. We're saving those for the next show. But uh, just a reminder to all of my listeners that you can continue to reach out to me using the hashtag Ask Heat. You can always send me an email as well at lockedonheat at gmail.com. You can, of course, always follow Alex Salito and all of his great work over at Tropical Blanket. This has been a fantastic show, and we'll be bringing you part two in the next couple of days. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's show. This is David Ramil signing off for now.